Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple and the host of the podcast. We have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. We're already halfway through 2023. It's crazy, but we're actually more than halfway uh, to believe it or not. We're already in July, almost into August. And we're on pace for another record year, which is just so, so, so special for us. Last year was our best year yet. And we're already above that pace that we set last year. And I just want to thank everyone who has supported, donated, or participated in a Project Verbal event in 2023. Many of our fall marathon teams are full, which is absolutely insane um, how the demand has just grown here at Project Purple for our for our marathon program. So thank you to all that are involved. But we do still have some spots left on a couple of our teams. Our Detroit full half and 5K team is still open. Our Chicago fall half marathon team still has some spots. And locally here in New England, we just added the South Norwalk half marathon and 5K. We also have a virtual event coming up in August, which is our work harder. It's not chemo as well as in the Chicago market in Park Ridge, Illinois in August, we have our annual Horner hustle 5k as well as uh, these great events. We also have our new event urban repelling over the edge in Hartford, Connecticut on September 16th, as we go over the edge for project purple and for raising awareness for pancreatic cancer. To learn more about all these great events, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple, wherever you may be on social media. So many places, there's a new one, we're on there now, uh, but so exciting. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest coming to us all the way from Portland, Oregon, pancreatic cancer survivor, Alicia Helfman. Alicia, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> so I know I didn't say this. We were playing catch up before we hit record. Um, I don't know much about your story. I know you're, we, we found you on social media, which I always say the power of social media. We always try to find the good and the positive. And there's, you know, there, there's so many people that we have become um, involved with or engaged with, I should say, throughout the years through social media. So we always try to find the good in the social media. Um, and it's just been really wild to connect from people from all over the world, not just over here in the United States. So I know our team reached out to you. Um, I think the first appointment we had, we had to reschedule, which is awesome because I love when um, survivors come back uh, to tell their story, which is awesome because I love seeing the name back in the, the calendar. Um, so we're going to get started here. So this is uh, the opportunity for the guests to kind of share their background with our audience. I'm not sure how many people know about you or follow you yet on social media. Hopefully that changes at the end of this podcast where we encourage everyone to go out and follow you, which we'll, we'll give at the very end. With that, as I said before, we hit record. Um, you could stay as high level as you want. You can get as in the, in the weeds, and uh, the microphone is yours to share your journey with pancreatic cancer. Uh, well, um, I'm a two year, twenty month survivor of stage four uh, pancreas cancer, and uh, initially I was only given a couple of months. So um, my perspective on this has changed as I've lived longer. Um, I, everything that's happened kind of since is unexpected and, uh, wonderful. Um, there was a lot of pressure at first, how best to use the time. And I've been able to relax more and, uh, it's just, it's gotten easier and it's gotten interesting. Um, I, uh, so my, I should say what my tumor was uh, 7.1 or 2 on the tail of my pancreas, so adenocarcinoma. Um, I, my liver was completely covered with lesions initially, and I have spread to my peritoneum as well, like cells all around my peritoneum. So I really, uh, it didn't look good at first. Um, but I have survived 57 rounds of fulfirinox-based chemo. Um, and everything has been possible because I've been very, very lucky to be able to tolerate um, that chemo regimen. Um, and I have a supportive uh, husband who kind of set the stage for, okay, you know, this is the time when you can have fun. This is 
this is the time when you can give yourself permission to do everything that you ever wanted to do that uh, you'd put off. And uh, so it kind of started that way. And um, I just uh, have had, actually, it's been a, a, a very joyful time, which isn't what I would have expected. Um, I'm already faltering. <laughs> no, no, you're doing great. So, yeah, it is out. I, so twenty two years, twenty months. So you're you're coming in on a three year anniversary of, of being diagnosed, right? Yeah. So with the fifty sevens, I, I just want to bring up a point here. So you've done fifty seven rounds of fluoronox. I know we we've talked about this often on the the podcast. Uh, for those that aren't aren't aware of fluoronox, it's like the kitchen sink of chemotherapies. Uh, especially for pancreatic cancer, usually some of the most toxic, but you've had, you said really good positive response in that. Yeah. So um, initially I've just been lucky because I haven't had the, the, the big um, side effects of, I've never been nauseated by it and I've never had the, the numbing kind of neuropathy. I've had a host of other side effects, but I just really didn't let them get to me. Um, and uh, as the doses were diminished of the different components that make up fulfirinox, mm -hmm. um, those side effects dissipated. And really for a very long time, I've only been maybe a little bit tired and just take a nap. And I just don't, you know, take that. I don't treat that uh, as a big deal at all. Um, so my breakdown is 23 of fulfirinox. Uh, then we dropped the um, arena Tekin because my neutrophils were just too low and I was extremely immunocompromised. Um, I've continued to treat myself as if I've been, I, I am still immunocompromised. I live in a bubble. I wear a mask whenever I'm outside. I don't any enclosed spaces. Um, I only go to, for treatment um, and I wear a mask and a shield there. Um, I still have my big world because I have Instagram and I have FaceTime and I have Zoom. <laughs> um, so I don't feel isolated, but I've been protective mm -hmm. of COVID. And um, um, anyway, so I had 20, I, I had 23 and then I had 12 of um, full Fox. And then uh, that was then 35 oxaliplatins, which is really a lot. Um, and maybe not necessary. Uh, my new oncologist uh, is concerned, you know, maybe I can't feed that back in later if I need it. Um, but it was, I felt wonderful on it. I was really um, uh, happy to watch my CA19-9 number go down. It had initially been 37,073 and it went down to 123. Um, so um, we did 12, uh, 12 rounds of the Fulfox. And now um, I've been on just maintenance therapy of Lucaborn and 5 of you uh, for the last 22 rounds. Um, at about 15 months, I had brought everything down so that nothing showed up on a PET scan and um, lived that way for quite a long time until the initial site started growing back. And at that point, I was able to um, get radiation, which hadn't been an option before um, because there wasn't a, a one place to target. And now I had just one place to target. And I, I found that... Um, I, when I first was diagnosed, I had learned about MRI-guided radiation, and I was interested in that. And um, this became an opportunity to sort of learn more about it and, um, and seek that out. As far as I know, there are only 37 of those machines available around the world. So um, we, tr we contacted different places that um, had it. And a number of them didn't get back to us, probably because I'm stage four. Uh, but I think if you're stage four, you really have to work harder to state your case. Um, and uh, we did talk to a few and they said, oh, no, we don't usually treat stage four. I ended up uh, finding a wonderful place in um, Walnut Creek, California called the Bass Cancer Center, um, 
my Dr. Chow uh, there was very encouraging. And uh, I really felt after talking with him that this was the way to go for me for three very specific reasons. Um, one that I, um, my tumor was right next to my um, stomach and part of my intestine, and it has less spread than regular variant SPRT um, radiation, which is the one you can get pretty much anywhere. Um, and uh, because what, what Dr. Chow explained to me is that the head of the pancreas is fixed and the tail moves. Um, and uh, the, the MRI-guided radiation follows exactly the shape of the tumor and the position of the tumor. And because mine was on the tail, it was a moving target. So this was a kind of radiation that could follow it exactly. And I did in fact see during the procedure, you can see where the radiation is hitting and I could see that um, there was a big divide at one day, which wasn't there other days between my pancreas and my stomach. So the, the tail was, the target was moving. So I was glad I was having this radiation that was hitting right there. It also is a more intense beam. So I was getting 50 gray instead of 30 gray, um, which I would have gotten on varying SPRT. And uh, for me, I have one shot at this, and this was a, a chance to really um, deactivate this tumor. Um, and he has said a couple of times, you know, maybe I wouldn't even need chemo anymore, which I don't know if I can, uh, you know, it's a nice thought. I don't know, <laughs> but it's very wonderful having him be so supportive and pleased with the progress since, um, you know, my tumor size diminishing and um, so I was getting more radiation. I was hitting a moving target. I was sparing mm -hmm. the tissue that was, you know, there's a little bit of spread, but not as much spread as the other radiation. So I was really happy to be able to find a place. Um, it was a wonderful experience, wonderful staff. Um, and un unexpected because I'd always been told that I wouldn't be able to get surgery or radiation because my 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 entire cancer um, picture was all spread too far. So um, at this point, I mean, I've been feeling terrific for a really long time. I never had uh, any pain from my cancer, and um, the whole thing was really a surprise. Um, I initially I felt a little bit of uh, a little bit of I'd say solidness at my core, um, and I had difficulty falling asleep, finding a position that was comfortable to fall asleep, and that was really it. And I went back and forth with my um, GP about it for a couple of months, and finally she said, "Okay, we'll get a scan." Uh, then I had to kind of pester her for the scan, and then. Uh, Two days after the, uh, like the end of the second day after the results of the CT came in, she kind of, she finally called me and and it was just such a a shop. Um, you know, she said, "Well, you have. Uh, I'm sorry, I've been busy. You know, but you have a couple months to live. You have stage four pancreas cancer." She described, you know, the picture what it looked like, and she said, "And I do not recommend chemo. Um, I just don't want that for you." And she kept repeating that. And she said, if you want to come in uh, tomorrow and talk about it some more, we can do that. And uh, so we did. And she generously gave us 45 minutes. But the conversation was, uh, we live in Oregon. So, you know, the Oregon Right to Die with Dignity Act. So she was suggesting suicide. Um, she so this was, let me just jump in here for a second. So this was upon... <laughs> getting the diagnosis, not even before any treatment started or anything. No treatment, no liver biopsy, nothing. Just looking at a CT scan. Um, then she said, um, she sent, she was talking about palliative care for pain management. Um, so basically, we're not going to give you any chemo, but you can have as much oxy and morphine as you want. <sighs> then she started talking about, um, there was a whole discussion about uh, natural burial where you spare a tree, uh, by skipping the coffin, but you can pick a kind of tree to mark your grave. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is like 15 hours of, of first hearing that I had this. And um, so- Alicia, I gotta, I gotta ask you this question though. You're laughing. 
so and and again like this is just crazy to me that in your like usually people here like so okay let me back up let me ask this question it, this is an md this is someone and you don't have to name the name this is a this is not a holistic doctor this is an md yes so they go down this route and I, I know the the suicide uh the attempt the assisted suicide so she doesn't even talk about like hey this is the protocol, you know, chemo, surgery is maybe not an option because of the staging of giving what all, but like, hey, let's talk about assisted suicide and burial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it turns That's out she, insane. It turns out she had conferred with an oncologist who knew nothing about me and um, didn't see that I was, you know, a vital person who was otherwise healthy and active. Um, I love to take long walks with my dog. I dance all the time. I'm, you know, so I had him as a covering doctor a couple of years later and I talked to him about it. Um, and he said, well, you could have been 94. He got really defensive. And uh, he said, you could have been 94 in a wheelchair or 94 with a walker. And, um, you know, you wouldn't have survived a liver biopsy. And, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, liver biopsy for me was, was nothing. Um, people who don't know about cancer hear that someone has cancer. They just think, Oh, it's this mountain of awfulness. When in fact, it's just little steps. And for me, the liver biopsy was a very little step. I guess they gave me a local pain blocker, but I was awake. I heard it. Uh, but there was no pain. I don't remember pain afterwards. Um, and he was seeing the liver biopsy as the, impediment to my being treated, not even chemo. Um, And so this whole construct that they made together um, would have been self-fulfilling, would have been true. If I had listened to them and not sought treatment, yes, my situation was terrible and I wouldn't have lasted. Um, Aside from doing me very wrong, uh, the only reason they're wrong now about the prognosis is because I didn't listen to them. Uh, but I have to say, when I first uh, got that phone call, I gave up within the first two sentences. There just didn't seem to be any point. And she wasn't giving me hope or options. It didn't seem I had a choice. You know, um, I was completely flattened. I could barely, the weight, I mean, just the weight of it was huge. And I could barely get myself out of bed the next morning. Um, so I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me, I'll get a second opinion or, you know, it was just like, it, it just didn't seem that there was any point to, to, to do anything. Um, luckily, I have friends who are doctors who are very, very smart people, many friends. Um, and all of them said, you know, you can't even diagnose this without a liver biopsy. And at the place I'm being treated, you have to have a liver biopsy before they let you see an oncologist. So um, I uh, hurried and had that done. And um, the friends also, they, they suggested together, there could have been five other things it could have been. You just can't tell from a picture. And all of them were less virulent things that were easier to treat. One of them even said it might even be a benign tumor. So um, something clicked in me during that week. You know, I'm just not even going to worry about this until I know what it is. I'm just, I don't know how I did that, but it saved my life. (laughs) Um, Because I felt so relieved, so fantastic, so light by comparison. I mean, because I had been so crushed, the contrast was huge. And I just decided, you know, I want to keep this no matter what happens I want to keep this good feeling and um, I have worked very hard to uh, stay happy that's been my priority that's been my job um, basically and um, every once in a while I'll fall down on the job a little bit Uh, there'll be a little bit creeping in of like being aware of the magnitude of my situation (laughs) Um, but then I know I have to push that away Um, you know, and continue to float above everything, um, everything that's just become routine for me. Um, I just don't let it bother me. I kind of compartmentalize it. And I like the fact that the word mental is part of that word compartmentalize. I mean, I used to have like 
four days. My schedule is four days on and 10 days off, 10 days to live my life freely. Um, but I realize that I don't even have a full four days. I mean, the first day is blood work. Well, I take a dance class on that first day. Um, I take, since I'm in a bubble, like it's on Zoom now. So it's a class I've taken for almost 14 years. I love it. Um, maybe we can have a link to it with our other <laughs> link later because anybody can take it and it's really fun and you don't have to be a dancer and it just makes you feel amazing. Um, so I do that. And I also take these long walks with my dog. Probably I'll do that I'll also on a blood work day. So it's not like I lose the whole day. And then chemo too used to be five hours in a chair, but now I'm down to an hour and a half. Um, I'll most days take that same walk on those days. I love to paint. I'll be painting. I'll be doing other things. So it's not even that my compartment of when I have my chemo done is such a big amount of time anymore. And um, so I, I'm just very uh, lucky, you know, that I've been able that the chemo has been able to allow this to happen for me and that I feel it's very, very important to stay happy and appreciate, um, you know, all the beauty around me. I'm a very visual person and uh, I, I love my music. Um, I have headphones that I listen to when I'm walking. Um, I like pop music. I like BTS. They've made me very happy and carried me through. <laughs> I'm a big fan. And uh, everybody they've ever collaborated with, I've been listening to now that they're on hiatus too. And um, so and I just, you know, with two months to live, uh, you know, it became a, who cares? Who cares what it looks like? So I dance around my neighborhood, you know, while I'm walking my dog, while I have my headphones on. And it's like, who cares? I'm not even supposed to be here, you know? Um, same thing with Instagram. I decided the, the first day that I would go public and be very transparent about this. And, and I've continued to um, do that, um, sharing all the thoughts I've had. I just sort of reviewed the last three years last night, and there have been a you know, a lot of different thoughts that came at different times, different stages of going through this. And I hope they've been helpful to people. I've certainly um, enjoyed meeting other people in the cancer community. Um, I was tapped by uh, Immerman Angels to be a, a mentor for them. That's one-on-one -on -one, uh, free counseling for people with the same kind of cancer that you have who are just, you know, a little bit you know, behind where you are. So you can give them some, uh, just some hope and um, walk through things together. It's been very nice. Um, and, and meeting people around the world and getting support from people around. So I got a couple questions and, and I appreciate you sharing that with, uh, with myself and the audience and, and, but we really have to get away from putting people on the ground before they even start treatment and before you, you even understand and know a person. I, I saw something the other day and, and someone who just recently got diagnosed and said, it's pretty powerful and, it, and, it, and it's going to make sense here to, to, to what happened here with you, Alicia, is that, you know, doctors get maybe 15 minutes and it was about self-advocating you know, that you have to self-advocate you have to ask these questions. And if you don't feel comfortable, then go find the answers. And, and your, your, your case is a direct point of that, right? Like this person, this doctor, whatever, I mean, I guess that's their ideology, whatever, whatever they don't, they don't know. Right. And, but they make this assumption and they only get 15 minutes or whatever, 20 minutes to try to make these decisions, which are wrong. I don't know how we change the system, but I do know that we can tell people listening and watching that if you're in that similar story, of you know stage four stage three stage two like if you don't feel comfortable with the answers you're getting or you don't feel comfortable with the time you're getting from that doctor just leave just walk out just leave you're the paying customer right um and at the end of the day you have to feel comfortable that you're getting the response you're getting the quality of care that you deserve and i've never met a doctor that can tell me when a patient is gonna you know pass or when they're going to, how long they're going to live. Like I I've even asked the question, you know, there's this notion of like 12%, 12% 
I, 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 I get it, you know, Alicia, like they, they, they put this, and I'm not saying this is a serious disease and I'm not trying to go off on a tangent here, but I've asked people like, where are we getting that data from? Because I'm having this conversation with you. I know plenty of stage four survivors that are living past 12 months, that are living 20 months. So where is the data that shows like how, how how are they coming up with that number? And that number is from ACS. And I'm not saying that ACS is this is not I'm not saying this is anything other than no doctor can tell any patient that they only have X amount of time. There are people out there that are stage four pancreatic cancer survivors that are living almost three years, seven years. I've met someone who was a 14 year stage four pancreatic cancer oh, survivor. That's what I <laughs> Right. So yeah. like that, that's my point is like for a doctor to say like, Hey, uh, you should think of assisted suicide and you should also think of like how you bury yourself. That person shouldn't even have a license quite honestly. Like, I don't even know how they, I mean, I get it. They're probably super smart and they probably have done a lot more schooling than me, but you can't <laughs> treat people like that. Like I, 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 this is this, this topic incensed me because people are human beings to the medical community out there listening to this, treat people like human beings. Stop treating people like a number and have some dignity and have respect for people. And if you are the patient, if you don't feel like you're respected and you're and that doctor or those nurses are not, I don't, it's not the nurses, let me take that back. It's usually doctors. If the doctors don't treat people with dignity, then leave, just walk out. Call us, call Pancan, call Lust Garden, call Hirschberg. We'll find we'll find some of the best doctors to work with in the world. It does not matter who you call. They'll find someone, you know, that you can go see that probably has respect and dignity for you. Sorry, I didn't mean to take it over, but okay. um I you know, I think that you don't know how you're going to react to chemo until you try. I mean, there's somebody who's in those tiny percentages, and it could be any of us, you know. So I'm glad I tried is, you know, obviously, but, um, I don't know. We watch a lot of Korean dramas and it comes <laughs> up a number of times, whenever they want to kill off a character, they give them pancreas cancer. And, uh, yeah. there have been patients in these dramas who decide they don't want to get treatment because, you know, they don't want to spend six months in a hospital bed or what, you know, whatever they're picturing. And I think that it gives such a, a bad message. Um, you know, these people who, just don't just refuse treatment or doctors saying, you know, that it's not worth it. But I don't know that I've seen that so much as people themselves refusing it. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like, no, you know, we, we can't reinforce that kind of uh, thought. I think when you're sitting in some of these um, appointments, I've had several of them. I've actually had six of them <laughs> where people have been uh, not encouraging. It's hard to tell while you're sitting there you know, you sometimes take some time to reflect on it, but there are red flags. Like um, we talked with one guy who was, um, this was for the variant SBRT uh, type of radiation. And he was saying things like, well, this probably won't work. It's optional. Your cancer is going to come back somewhere else. I mean, these are all like big red flags, um, you know, and, and uh, the same guy, the covering guy, he treated me very much as a statistic. Uh, when I saw him, I didn't, I would never have chosen to go to him, but I had to because my, my oncologist was out and um, the whole conversation, there was a lot of looking at the computer, not at me. Uh, the whole conversation was the expected progression of the disease and it's, you know, various ways of uh, treating it. Um, but never me, never like, you know, my, vitality that I was going to bring and my tenacity that I was going to bring to it. It just wasn't even like part of the component factor for him to think about mm -hmm. that. So yeah, you, you have to, you know, obviously uh, advocate for yourself. It's very true. So, and this is something that you mentioned, is this where this, you mentioned before, you have to state your case with stage four, mm -hmm. almost like you have to sell the doctors on like, Hey, I want to do this treatment. Is that where you're going? When, when you say, when you said that before, but what you just said, like you said, red flags, which I wrote down too. So like when you notice these red flags, is this process for you, Alicia, like, Hey, then, okay, then I have to, 
have to like bring something to the table here to convince this guy that I can do this treatment. Well, I I didn't convince that guy because I I decided that what I yes I needed to do something and what I wanted to do was MRI guided radiation. Mm-hmm. Part of why he was saying this probably isn't going to work <laughs> maybe was because it was you know this lower grade you know thirty gray instead of fifty gray. I mean I I know that I I have talked with three different people who have had. Um, variant SBRT um, treatment to their pancreas tumor, and it has come back. One at eight months, one at nine months, one at two years. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted the best chance possible of killing this thing. And so um, I went for the higher dose and, you know, for the other reasons as well. So, um, so yes, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> What was your profession previously before you? I'm a, des- I'm a designer and and also I, an artist. I mean, designer of different types of design through my life, and I've written a couple of knitting books and um, taught and um, you wouldn't know it from this fumbling around, but I I've given talks and lectures. On. So so you're so you're one for the details. If you're a designer, yeah. designers are into the details. Yeah. Yeah. So when you got diagnosed originally, was that like, and I think I know the answer, but I don't want to answer the question, answer the question that I'm going to ask. So was that part of your processes was like to really understand the treatments, the options, once you got through this barrier of like, Hey, the first doctor was like, Hey, we're going to put you in the ground. But once you found a team that was was saying like, hey, we can do this, we can do this treatment, did you really dive into the, the, the protocols and do some research? I have done that, but I think my main focus has been floating above things too. Not that I don't, I, it's not that I don't want to know about anything. No, I know about every detail of it. Um, and it's taken a really long time for me to build a good team. Um, that I feel great, a wonderful infusion nurse. I really love my oncologist. I've had two great oncologists who have been very encouraging and um, always a step ahead. What are we going to do next? You know, and, and that's like invaluable um, because you really have to find doctors who are open to the possibility of a positive outcome. And you have to hold that in, in yourself as well. The, you know, the possibility that this can turn out really well. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't avoided any detail for sure. Um, but I also am focused on the beauty around me. Um, I've been avoiding things like conflict, uh, stress, anything that has tension, puts tension in the body. Um, because I want to be open to the light and, and joy. Um, I think if you step back and look at, oh, all these things, worry, anxiety, uh, stress, uh, fear, anger. I used to be someone who harbored anger. You know, let go of all of that. Um, none of it is useful. None of it. If it motivates you to get some treatment, okay, you can make a little case that that it's okay to uh, feel some of that. But I would say none of it is going to help you survive. You know, just like if you get rid of all that stuff, then you have this open room to be able to find a joyful way to spend however much time you have left, you know. Um, and if you, uh, do the things that make you happy, um, and you, and you make an effort to actively do that, um, all the time, then, you know, you'll know at the end of the day, (laughs) I had my chance. I used it well. I wouldn't have made any other choices. Um, you know, um, and I think if you worry, if you're depressed because you have cancer, oh, you know, that's just like clouding the time that you have. You, 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 why not? Why would you want to do that when you could, uh, you know, just open up and, and enjoy everything? So I also, you know, it's a lot of pressure to make use of every minute. Um, and so there's something I call um, 
the art of doing small things where you take big tasks and break them down into little pieces and uh, take uh, feel good, feel accomplished about uh, accomplishing some small parts of things. So like I like to use the example of laundry. You can get at least five big accomplishments out of one load of wash um, because you can gather all the stuff you need. Oh, wow, that's, you know, I've gathered all the, the dirty things I might want to wash. You sort them. That's another accomplishment. Washing and drying, you really should do the same day so they don't get mildewed. But you don't have to fold the same day. You know, you fold a thing of socks. Oh, there's a big pile of socks. Wow, I feel great. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit artificial, but, you know, some days you don't have a lot of energy and it's like, oh, I cleaned the hummingbird feeders and gave them fresh water. Oh, that feels great. I did that. You know, oh, I did a little hand wash. Oh, I did a little painting. I've been loving painting. Well, I think to your point, you know? oh, I love that. Um, uh, like my dog walk, my dog, the leaves we collect, the seed pods, you know. Um, but if you just do a little tart, your hand is in it. It's not like it's on the back burner and you can feel accomplished. Like, yeah, I painted today. Even if you only painted for 10 minutes, you know, doesn't have to be like, I feel accomplished because I finally finished a painting. So, you know, there are a lot of ways to feel good. I also found early on pivot, pivot away from something that if you come to a roadblock, because you, you want to use your time well. And then when you come back to it, Oh, you know, you might think of a solution that you were, where if you spend all your time worrying about how do I fix this? you know, you're kind of losing time and, you know, better to just pivot to something else and keep it light. I don't know. It, it's powerful though. Like, cause like, you know, you think about it, like we all, and regardless, like that was just a, a great life lesson, <laughs> regardless if we're battling cancer or just living life to break things into small pieces. And as you said, like it's, it's this accomplishment and not feeling this overwhelming burden of like this, this stuff is just piled up on me. Right. And so this is a great segue into what you said before in terms of staying happy, which I love that you bring this up because the, the mind is an amazing tool. It's an amazing instrument. And this is what got me off going on that last tangent. Um, you know what the doctor said, because I think that can have, a negative impact on someone's mental attitude, right? But if you if you have a positive attitude, you can do amazing things. Um, and so what are some of the things, I know you've mentioned a lot already, but that stay happy, like that's something that's really, as we talk and we've been talking here for almost 40 minutes here plus, like that's been a pretty common theme. Like you, you also, and I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, when you tell your story, you also are very happy in the way you're speaking and the words you're using. I think, I don't know that I always, I think this cancer has woken me up. You know, um, I used to put off the fun things. Uh, if they weren't going to be lucrative, if I couldn't somehow turn them into something that I would sell, I made miniatures, um, but I didn't let myself play with the miniatures I had collected and put them in room settings and stuff. I only, you know, I'd only work on the things, you know, that I could make multiples of, that I could sell at shows. Um, this, this has really been a, again, it's because of the contrast of feeling so horrible and then feeling so great. And then just like, oh, wow, this is really nice. I want to keep this, you know? Um, so for me, it's been figuring out what makes you happy and then pursuing that thing that makes you happy, making sure you, you know, follow through. Um, so I don't know if I always was this way. I, I think that it's um, not really new. This is almost three years, but I mean, you know, maybe at times, yeah, but I, been working hard at staying at this top level. And I think it's taken me far. I think um, the side effects, you know, people can get really into that. And I, I know that some of them can be terrible and maybe some of them might actually were kind of terrible. I had really horrible mouth sores and, you know, but I just didn't like, I didn't dwell there. I, you know, there's just too much else that I wanted to focus on. And uh, for me, that's just helps me rise above this, all this stuff, you know? 
Um, and just knowing, I, somebody asked me, oh, you know, I'm in a support group. Somebody asked me, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful that the, the radiation is going to work? So you're hopeful. And I thought, that's really odd. You know, I don't, I just feel like, no, you know, I do everything I can do. I get that done. And then I go on and I live my life, you know? So it's not like I'm going to sit around and worry about it. I've heard about scanxiety. Well, I don't have that, you know, like get that scan done. And then just like, I don't know. I, I, I'm too focused on using the moment as it's happening and enjoying that moment. And I don't want to like have anxiety about what's going to happen later, you know? And, um, and I think also the longer you live, it seems like the longer you will live. Um, I just think I don't want to sully the time that I have. I mean, time is the precious thing. Time is what we all want more of. Time is what lets us be with our loved ones. Um, lets us do the things that make us happy, whatever those things are. And uh, so I'm protective of my time. Uh, my husband kind of set this up initially, you know, like he didn't let me do things that were hard or he didn't want me to do things that were hard. He wa just wanted me to focus on things that were fun. And so a lot of times I've had trouble in my life where people ask me to do things that they want me to do for them. Um, that would make them happy because I'd be good at it. And so it was kind of hard for me to say no and I'd get sucked into stuff. And and I've just been like, no, I want to do what makes me happy. And it's not that I'm not doing things for other people. I am. Like I, I've been making a lot of paintings for uh, people who have helped me uh, save my life, you know, <laughs> my nurse who's been amazing, um, you know, uh, family, whatever. But um, I get to decide what I want to give, what I want to work on, what I want, how I want to spend my time. And then, you know, I get that or like the mentoring or, you know, whatever. Um, my husband well, also does all the shopping and, you know, like he, 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 he's just made it easy for me to clear my days and uh, be able to. Well, it's spend. powerful because you say, you know, like a couple really, really great statements there and sense that we are in control of our lives no one else is right and and how we spend our time and and to your point like time is all we have right like at the end right. of the day like it's all we have and and the other piece to this is we just don't know like tomorrow's never guaranteed regardless of whoever like no one knows right like and and but again it comes back to the time you have so during that time do you want to enjoy the time you have or let other things kind of influence the time you have and, and, you know, not necessarily happen, but, you know, impact the time that you have to act in a certain way. I, so I it, it's so powerful. I think we have a choice of how we want to live our lives. And I've chosen, I've chosen this like kind of euphoria, <laughs> but um, well, it's not euphoria. I, I think it's just powerful, <laughs> Alicia, where you're at this point where you're like, hey, I'm going to live my life. Like, I'm not a, I wrote this down. You're not a statistic, right? Like, right. hey, they, th that first doctor, not to pick on that doctor, but I guess we are, you know, gave you that like grim diagnosis and you're like, all right, well, whatever. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go find a doctor that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this and, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have a chance. And, um, you know, here we are almost three years later <laughs> defying all the odds and, and you're, you're still going at it and, and living quality life and living your life the way you want to. Again, I mean, it's, I'm just, I'm so lucky that the chemo I've tolerated it. I wouldn't have the luxury of any of these thoughts, you know, if, if I couldn't have done it. Um, so part of it is that I didn't pay attention when I had side effects, but mm. you know, I mean, it's not something people can control how they'll do. I mean, you, you, you can, your mind can take you so far, but your body has its own agenda too. And I don't mean to diminish anybody's struggles, you know, but I know that you, you don't know how you're going to do unless you give it a, a try. And, and I was given the option of a Gemside Vena and a Braxane. 
or um, fulfurinox. And I went for the, the one that was presented to me as the harder one because it had a mean median lifespan of 11 months as opposed to nine. And I just thought, well, I'll try it, you know, and if I can't do it, I'll, I'll try the other one. And, um, but it, it worked out for me. So it, I was very, very lucky. And I do, I just, yeah, I feel appreciative all the time. I've got a couple questions left here for you, and then we're going to share with our audience where they can follow you and, and, and follow your journey and, and possibly connect with you if they'd like. Mm. First question, and there's no right or wrong to this, but given your experience, your diagnosis, everything you've gone through, what advice would you give to someone listening on the other side here, whether they're listening to the podcast, watching on YouTube? that has a, a similar diagnosis that's stage four pancreatic cancer. And it's not necessarily one thing. It could be a multitude of things, but what would that be for that person? If that person reached out to you and said, Alicia, what should I do? I would say, don't worry. First of all, I mean, try things, try, you know, go for the, go for what I did, the hardest treatment. Um, you know, maybe it will work for you. Hopefully it will work for you and just be open to, uh, open to the possibility that it's going to go well and, and don't let yourself, I mean, I could not drag myself out of bed. I can't even tell you how low I was. And when you're that way, when you're in that state, I, I don't know that I would have been successful. You know, I just don't, I was already so defeated. And so if you can let yourself not feel that way, um, I had this, you know, great, key to this other world because my my friends my doctor friends gave me other options other possibilities that it could have been but if you don't have that i mean still just like be uh open that it, it could work out well and uh and hold on to that and and hopefully it will you know so powerful my last question, and this is also a loaded question. It's always usually our hardest question. And there's no right or wrong uh, to this. Given what you've gone through, how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? <laughs> well, for me, again, it's been that option, that, um, that idea of figuring out what it is that makes you happy and then pursuing that thing, making sure you pursue that thing. Um, that's it. I mean... It's a big wake up call, you know, and you, you evaluate your life, uh, what you want to do with your time and then make sure to the best of your ability that you use it well. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be like big momentous things. It's okay to do. Yeah. I love to do New York times puzzles. I love to watch Korean dramas. I mean, it's okay to do other kinds of things, you know, get lost in a book, you know, it's okay. Uh, whatever you want to do is is valuable enough. It doesn't have to be big, momentous things. Um, I also found things that I had planned to do that were difficult, like a, a knitting book I was writing. It's going to be really, really hard. I backed off on the difficult knitting, and I did a lot of simpler knitting. It's still enjoyable, but that's the idea. Just like make things enjoyable, scale back if you have to. Do less is okay to do less. Um, but do things that will make you feel happy and make you feel good. And it's a chance to kind of figure out what those things are. I love it. <laughs> Alicia, for our audience listening at home or watching and someone wants to uh, follow your journey, I, I just logged on here to, to Instagram here on my phone and I see, uh, I love the second post here. You've got like a picture of, of a sheep. Uh, which is just so I, I, I love sheep for some reason. I don't know. I think they're just cool animals. Um, where's the best place? Is it Instagram for people to connect with you? It's, yeah, definitely. So let's give that out here. Is it's just, uh, it looks like it's possibly your first and last name altogether. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I post the things that I make. I post things I think about in terms of, um, having pancreas cancer. Um, it's, I found it to be a wonderful platform uh, for artists and for just, uh, I've met uh, people with cancer around the world who I've spoken with. And it's just been a very, um, it's been very enlarging for a small um, bubble life that I'm living. <laughs> um, 
I also, we have a, a support group at Yale University, hosted by Yale University Hospital. Um, and we always welcome new pancreas cancer patients. Um, so if we could have a link to that. And then um, my dance class is amazing. It's called Stretch Appeal Dance. It's for everyone. It, you always feel fantastic afterwards. It's just moving to great music and um, having fun together. Um, I used to do it in the studio. Now I do it on my back deck uh, or in my you know, hallway in the winter. Um, but that's another thing that's been really nice. So. Looks like it's done on Tuesdays. Uh, here I see your post here on here. So it's Tuesday, every Tuesdays it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And then awesome. the support group is on Mondays. So awesome. I recommend both of those. They've been great for me to just stay connected with people and, um, you know, walk together. It's fun. I love it. I love it. So the Instagram handle, we're just going to spell this out for you because I know you, your first name is I L I S H A H E L F M A N. Yeah. Alicia Helfman, um, on, on Instagram. So, um, go out there, give her a follow. And uh, she's got information there about her uh, her class and support group as well. So thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and sharing thank your journey you. with pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Thank you. This has been really nice. You are not a statistic. I wrote that down many times <laughs> and I know you said that, but it's just so powerful to hear. And, and I appreciate you having the courage to uh, to, to come on the show and, and open up because I know it's not easy. Um, but it's inspiring and I hope people listening and watching this, as I said, you know, these statistics are just statistics. Um, and no one has the right to tell anyone that they're either one or the other, right? So you're, you're defying the odds and, and, you know, that's really the, the story here and it's so powerful. So appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share that journey. I think, um, in that week, I was just as sick the beginning of the week as at the end of the week. And the only thing that had changed in how incredibly great I felt was my mindset. So that's, that's just the thought I want to leave you with. It's, it's really, I think, important and the best way to use your time. I mean, why not? I mean, why not? You have the opportunity to uh, make the, to, to, to find joy. Why not? You know, so that's. that's so it. powerful. Thank you, Alicia. <laughs> Okay. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share this episode and follow the Project Purple Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That is a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, please be safe.